Good morning. Let me try that again. Good morning. I feel like a caged animal here with all these. I'm a, I'm a pacer when I walk, and so this is really going to be, or when I teach and when I preach, and so this is going to be a real uh, test to see if I can stay confined within these, uh, this uh, little row that, of tables here. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for bringing us here to uh, feed upon your word. And would you be pleased to uh, give us ears to hear what the Spirit would have us learn this day. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, have you ever wondered... Why does the joy of my salvation sound like a Christian slogan? Have you ever wondered that? You don't need to answer. Ask yourself. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered or asked God, since Jesus came to give me abundant life, why does my life not look like it's abundant? Now, if you're honest, you've asked those questions. Um, I know I have. And I've asked them many times. Or there's a question that really plagued me for over two years, which we'll speak about through the course of this class. And it's where I search the scriptures high and low, trying to understand why could Paul and his associates be joy-filled singing songs and hymns while they were chained in a first-century dungeon. Ever think about that? How could they be so happy and joy-filled when circumstances um, were overwhelming? The reason why I asked that question was with everything that I knew about Scripture, there was a season in my life where it was joyless. And... I knew in my heart of hearts that the joylessness had more to do with what was going on up here than what God was doing in my life. And so if you've wondered any of those three things, this class is for you. And um, we will cover those as we go. We will go into each of those questions and we'll have not only answers for those, but we'll be able to equip you to be able to take on and deal with the circumstances that God places in each of our lives and do it in in a way that you won't be robbing your joy. See, one of the things I realized as I started into this process was I realized I was sabotaging my own joy. And so um, I know you came here expecting to hear about heaven today. But we're going to, this is actually the prerequisite course for heaven, which is the next two weeks. And this prerequisite course, as you'll notice here on lesson one, is the importance of mindset. And then lesson two, we'll get into the three eyewitnesses. And lesson three will be heaven, what will and won't be there, and most of all, who will be there. And if we take, if you will, the context of understanding the importance of mindset in our Christian walk, 
and then we apply the truths from Scripture that we get from the following two lessons, hopefully all of us will emerge from this class three weeks from today. We will emerge being a better equipped to encounter suffering, death, and persecution. And so I hope, that is my hope, that's my prayer, and, and so you'll please bear with me as we, as we prepare and lay some building blocks towards the concept of mindset. And, uh, but before we do, let me tell you a few things that this class is not going to be about. We're not going to be contrasting eschatological views. So if you thought that, you thought Guy was going to come in and do that, we've got classes that have been taught by better people than me that are up on the website. Uh, go there to those. I think Mark Anderson taught on that most recently. We won't be speculating on areas of Scripture where Scripture is silent. You know, there's always these questions that you hear people ask. Will there be pets in heaven? We're not going to cover that. We get, you know, I don't know about you, but I always wonder, will I be at my high school weight in heaven? Will I have my hair back? We're not going to cover that. Sorry. And while we, be, we will be quoting some apocalyptic scripture from Revelation 21, it's more of an overview, and we're not going to be getting into the symbolism of, of that. But we're going to be covering that particular passage on, in, uh, that John gives us and why it was given to John and how it is applied to our lives. This class is really more intended to be a practical guide a practical guide to equip you to be able to have a perspective of heaven that might loosen the grips that the circumstances you find yourself in have on your heart and on your mind and on how you respond to things that are taking place around you. It's my hope that we'll be able to take a close look at the eyewitnesses and what their mindsets were like so that we might be able to emulate that in setting our minds. And I know that's kind of foreign to you, but we'll get to that. Lastly, this series uh, uh, on heaven, on picturing heaven, I call it picturing heaven for your soul. So we're not going to do an exhaustive study on heaven. We are going to do a study on the importance of picturing heaven for the benefit of your soul. And I hope that that will make more sense as we, as we get uh, closer to that point. This series was really born in the Petri dish of going through suffering myself and asking those questions, and then 
visiting with my dying mom and opening scripture to her, trying to encourage her through scripture as she was dealing with stage four cancer and as she was dealing with the fact that she was passing from this life to the next. And so a lot of what you're going to hear is going to sound autobiographical because it comes from a book that I'm writing under the same title, Picturing Heaven for Your Soul. And so if you'll humor me for a moment, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the introduction from the book as an introduction to this series. So when I first learned that my mom's uh, doctor had given her a three months to live, I booked the next flight to Seattle. During that journey I la- that I labeled planes, trains, ferries, and automobiles, I had the forced downtime to consider what, what in the world would I be saying to my mom, who was dying? How would I comfort and encourage her? I knew the most popular Bible verses to share with her, but I was going to be spending 12 hours a day for 10 days with her. Now, you guys know me. I'm an engineer by trade, and so I'm pretty much cut to the chase, get to the point, and um, that's the wrong type of mindset and mentality when you're dealing with somebody who's dying, and especially when your repertoire in heaven is limited. So how was I going to make meaningful use of each day with my mom? So as we pulled up to Martha and Mary's rehab center in Paulsbo, Washington, I was taken aback. You know, one of the things of being a desert dweller is, is you, you find things like flowers very interesting. I was just in Chicago last week, and people probably thought I was nuts because I was looking down at it admiring these colorful things called flowers that we don't have here. Um, but anyway, as we, as we pulled in, I, I had this very lengthy journey of, as I mentioned, it really was planes, trains, ferries, and automobiles to get to mom's house. And so God gave me this stretch of time to, to try to put together, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And as we pull into the driveway, I've got this, you know, this trepidation. I've got to sit and talk with my mom about dying. God gave me this beautiful, what I call a fruit loop tree. I still have no idea what, what type of tree it was, but it was, we, this was during the fall. And as we, um, came in, this tree was like multiple colors. It looked like Fruit Loops all around the tree. It was just beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was right by the entrance to Martha and Mary's rehab center. And that tree became an illustration for me. It became an illustration of the fact that this tree, as beautiful and colorful as it's adorned, is going to appear to die. But in a season, it will come back and do it again. And so God gave me this moment, this opportunity to kind of shift gears between my travels and coming in to visit with my mom. 
So I said a quick prayer as I was still in the parking lot with my sister on how God would use me and my sister to minister to my mom. I greeted my mom with tears, giving in to the lump in my throat that rendered me into a babbling, crying baby. <laughs> um, I won't get into a side story on that. I could, but I'll save it for a later date. After the tears, we got down to business. The lifetime of small talk would no longer suffice when we considered that each day that we spent together might be our last. So we said each day all that we had to say. The second day's mission was time to help my mom to accept that she would not be returning to her home, to the life that she had known for 84 years. Like a good ruling elder and son, I broke out my Bible, day two. I broke out my Bible to share God's comfort, just as the Fruit Loop tree would soon wither and seemingly die, yet it would come to life with vigor again. So I would show my mom that after crossing the threshold, the state of sleep that Jesus described and what that would look like to her so that she might release the bonds, emotional, physical bonds, to this world. Guess what? It only took two days to exhaust my repertoire. With seven days left, I was confronted with a challenge. How am I going to fill the next seven days with my mom? I've covered all my repertoire. So the third night was sleepless. As I meditated on scripture and asked God for insight into how to minister to my dying mom, I considered all the popular so-called Christian books on heaven. Most are by, as you know, by people who have these so-called uh, near-death experiences. And these books I've always avoided because, why? They're not credible witnesses. And in fact, many have since proven to be sheer fabrication. Early morning on the fourth day, as I was meditating on what the Bible has to say about heaven, I was awakened to the fact that unlike the popular books on heaven, God has given us three highly credible eyewitnesses. We're going to cover that next week. And so... From that point, at least now, I had something that I could start to unpack real time with my mom, with my Bible in my lap. My, idea, my thought process was, if we could start to understand the, the mindset of these three eyewitnesses, we could, and if we could apply that mindset to our own mindset, if we could, as Paul said, if we could imitate that mindset, then perhaps as we encountered my mom's death, we might do it in a way that was pleasing to the Lord and with the least amount of resistance in the process. And perhaps, just perhaps, 
while my mom was in this rehab center preparing for death, and I'm in this rehab center not wanting to be there because it's more of a convalescent home, and it's got sounds and smells and all kinds of things that are not pleasant. And so we were in circumstances that would not be pleasant, and yet perhaps as we started to adopt the mindset of these three eyewitnesses, perhaps we could become, we could restore our joy of our salvation as we contemplated what Scripture has to say about heaven. Much to my surprise, God gave us lots to talk about as we considered more specifically, John and Paul, and how their visions of heaven helped them, prepare them for difficult and even life-threatening circumstances. As I mentioned, for the two years leading up to this moment, I've mused over what God's reason for taking Paul to the third heaven and for giving John such an incredible vision as described in the book of Revelation. What impact did these visions have on their own lives? And what value does that have for me and my dying mom and for you as we cover this class? These were questions that we surveyed together through Paul's writing and John's writing, and we will survey them again on week two and three. I had already known, as most of us have, I'm sure, in fact, I recall Tim preaching on it, that John's vision in the book of Revelation was given to John. John was told to write it. I don't want to steal too much of the material from next week. But he was told to write it down for the churches because why? The churches were about to, if they weren't already encountering uh, persecution, suffering, and I knew that that, uh, that book was predominantly given to him and to us for that purpose. My question was, could it be that Paul was given the same, a similar vision for the same reason? We'll cover that then. I'll just plant that seed here. Over the next what would have been a total of seven, ten-day visits with my mom, we began to picture heaven through Jesus, Paul, and John's eyes. We looked at their eyewitness accounts and tried to guess how their visions of heaven gave each of these the ability to persevere to the very end. And by the fourth visit with my mom, she had come to accept that she was not going to return to her apartment. She came to expect, accept the fact that she was, the frustration of this temporary home was a place that God had her to minister to dying people. So in four visits over a four-month period of continuing to study scripture, my mom went from asking me, guy, will you take me home? To God has me here to minister to dying people 
I've gone through all this for a reason. Because the question that's probably coming up in your mind is why study heaven? I mean, we, scripture doesn't give us a lot on heaven, but it gives us enough and just enough. And we'll go into that in much greater detail. So as I mentioned, we've broken this into the three stages. And so now I'm going to step into lesson one. So that was a little bit of an introduction. Two weeks ago, Tim preached on Romans 12 about not being conformed to this world. He said, if you're actively, if you're not actively cooperating with the spirit, you are by default conformed to the world. Rather, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I would say by cutting off the heartstrings that are fixed on this world by offering a better focus on heaven and God's word. So now, before we begin to explore what the Bible tells us about heaven, let's take a slight but very meaningful detour to discuss the importance of mindset. It might seem far from the study of heaven, and it might even seem to be too much dedicated to the subject. But bear with me because it's foundational to the application of this series. Now, let me make this clear. I can give you the information. Most of the time, we start, we teach lesson, and then we give application. We're actually starting with the application. Because if we start with the application, and we start applying the application as we go through the information Hopefully, we can be applying that in the same way that I applied it with my mom, and it applied to my life. And in, in that process, hopefully, you know, we will go from having head knowledge to heart knowledge. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal said this, Of all the creatures on the planet, man is at the same time the creature of the highest grandeur, and the creature of the lowest misery. This is what he called the paradox of man. He went on to say that it is possible, it's possible for human beings to think in such categories that we can imagine a life far better than we experience in this world. Let me repeat that. It's possible for human beings to think in such creative categories that we can Imagine a life far better than we experience in this world. The key word there is imagine. That's a ref- he went on to say, that's a reflection of our grandeur, and at the same time, it's a manifestation of our misery. Because the misery is this. As wonderful as we can imagine what life could be like under certain conditions... We're not able to make it happen. We're not able to make it happen. So encapsulated in this, as human beings, we have the ability to imagine. We have the ability to think. We have the ability to picture in our minds, that's what imagine is, picture in our minds something that is greater than what we experience today. But it comes with a cost. And the cost is 
We live, you know, we, we speak often about living in the already but the not yet. And that's the tension in this Christian walk. And that tension, we can cooperate with it by focusing and imagining more and more where it is God would have us go. Ed. It brings to mind uh, our retired elder, really what his vision was, that he had a team and an echo tiger in his head. And we are talking about images, you know, if you think about what's reading about the Ten Commandments, then about the Ten Commandments, what a distraction the movies and the people, that's the vision of Exodus, and how culture often when you talk to people about heaven, yeah, I mean, one of the things I realized as I sat with my mom was, I don't know much about heaven. <laughs> I didn't know enough to, to, in my first two visits, or my or in my first uh, few days, I should say, I did not know enough to be able to help my mom do this. But by God's grace, he gave us seven other 10-day visits where we continued to unpack scripture together so that we could not only envision heaven, but I will tell you one of the greatest things was it, it answered all of the questions that I started this class with for me. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, we're, I guess that's probably what compelled me to write the book is that there's really not much out there that deals with that. But anyway, that's a different subject. So, if you look at ourselves today, where we're at, we, you know, we live, um, we place so much value on what we see. We place so much value on things created, on comfort, on pleasure, on significance, we worry about losing those things. When that loss happens, we become frustrated, angry, depressed, distressed. We were, in fact, created for forever. We were created to be forever before the face of God and to live in his presence. And so we live in this tension because we were created for that so we've already hardwired for heaven. And while we don't, we can't really grasp everything about it, we know that this is not our home. We know it from our experience. We know it from God's word. So let's talk about mindset. Believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about mindset or setting your mind. It sometimes refers to setting your heart or setting your affections. In all cases, when referring to set your mind or your heart or your affections, it's referring to what you do when you set a thermostat. If I go in and set this thermostat to be colder, the room gets colder. So when we think about mindset, think about the way you respond to circumstances, the way you respond to stimulus is directly proportionate 
to how you have set your mind. Let me repeat that. How you have set your mind has a direct correlation to how you respond to stimuli or situations. When Tim started teaching early on about grace and about idols and idolatry, one of the things that he said that really rang true with me for the longest time was, is when you're angry, when you're frustrated, it's because you have an idol that isn't delivering. That's mindset. So having the right mindset uh, is very, very important, and, and Scripture covers that. So there's much more that we can say on that. Um, again, two weeks ago, Tim talked about Mindset, he didn't use the word, but he said this. He said uh, in his uh, sermon on Romans 12 that our heart is like a steering wheel. Do you remember that? You remember that? It's like a steering wheel. And so what your heart is focused on is what direction your, your vehicle is running or how your vehicle is responding. Its course, if you will, is governed by what you think about and what you place value upon. Now, when I was, I was discipled by a gentleman by the name of Charlie Hainline. And Charlie um, was a member of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, D. James Kennedy's church in Florida. And um, Charlie was a siding salesman, retired siding salesman. And um, he was an incredible man who loved Jesus, who spent six days a week in going in prison ministry. In his prison ministry, he um, led fifteen hundred people a year to Christ. Here's what I found. Sorry, I put this on to see what time it is, and it's talking back to me. Charlie gave, always had this saying that stuck with me. And it took me a long, long time. A lot of things he said to me took sometimes up to a decade for that to sink in. But he, he gave me a quote that I later found out was attributed to um, Corey Tin Boom. And he said this, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you will become depressed. But if you look to God, you will be at rest. So, I'm, you know, I want to give you a, a slight graphic. Not the best, but a slight one. And this really goes, this starts to at least give a visual on the importance of mindset. We have the cross, of course, but... The, um, I'm going to call this horizontal. This is a horizontal view of life, which is things that are seen. If we're lucky, we master this world. I mean, I, I spent 50 years mastering what is seen. 50. I shouldn't say lucky. That's probably the wrong choice of words. 
Because it, by mastering this, it got in my way of what's really important, and that's the vertical. Or the unseen. So when it comes to mindset, I believe there's only two types. There is the horizontal that helps me navigate through this world with no concern about the next. Or the unseen world the vertical mindset that encapsulates Corey Ten Boom's quote. Look to God and be at rest. Look everywhere else and become depressed. Now, I don't know about you, but how many times have you become depressed? When you look at your circumstances, you know, when you find yourself in circumstances that are pretty painful or frustrating, etc., and so how do you respond to those? And so as we go through this course, I'm going to be talking a lot about horizontal mindset and vertical mindset. And uh, hopefully you'll see um, the mindsets of Paul and John as we move forward. In your class notes, you'll notice I didn't give you the... The proverbial spring meadows fill in the blank. Sorry about that. Um, it's not my style. So, um, But I did give you uh, a bunch of quotes. You know, to know me is to know that I like quotes. And uh, we live in a bite-sized world today, unfortunately. And so we only take things in small bites. They have to be able to fit in Twitter feed, right? Uh, just a couple, you know, I'll, I'll cover the first one. C.S. Lewis has quoted, If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. Now, this goes against the saying that we all have heard that, He's of such heavenly, what? So heavenly minded, again, mindset. He's of no earthly good. We've all heard that. Guess what? It's a lie or half truth at best. And I've given you a a plethora of quotes from reliable sources. I believe they're all fairly reliable um, that you can Study in your leisure. I'm not going to go over them. Um, but I will at least, I've given you below that a set. Let's see, where are you? I've given you a, a list of mindset passages. Just so you think, Guy, are you giving us some type of psychobabble, some type of new age? Mindset, you know, if you, if you conceive it in your mind, you can have it, or feeding you prosperity gospel. You can take a close look at 
in your in your study time. You can take a close look at the passages here where Scripture is constantly reminding us to set our minds on things above, not on things of man, not on things below. To to set our hearts on God, to set our hope. Um, you guys remember Mark Russell? Mark Russell did a class that has stuck with me forever. And he said, consider this as heaven, and we're down here, you know, going through uh, our, our life in the already but not yet. And he said, Jesus, our hope, is in heaven, right? He's in heaven. And he said that if we want to really live a hope-filled life, we need to be anchored in to heaven. That's where our hope lies. And the, you know, the key word of anchor, um, Another funny thing about being a desert dweller, I'm actually a boater, um, but I don't boat at Lake Mead, but I spent a lot of time on the ocean. And one of the things I will tell you is that anchor is the most necessary tool on any vessel. Because when you're out in the middle of a really bad storm, the last thing you want to do is go inland because the shallower water becomes more turbulent. So you have to go out into the deeper waters and drop an anchor so that you can withstand the storm. And life comes with lots and lots and lots of storms. And so Mark Russell's point was, as we encounter those storms, if, if our hope is, is anchored in heaven, in the person of Jesus, and in our if I, if I could, in our vivid vision of heaven, I'm going to call it that uh, the next few weeks, our vivid vision of heaven will actually help anchor us as we encounter the trials and tribulations that this living in the already but not yet brings. Now, how am I doing time-wise? Five minutes? Okay, speed up. So, as I mentioned, the majority of us master in this. And quite frankly, um, up until my visit with my mom, I was mastered in this and minored in this. Since that visit, it's flipped. I, I still live here. <laughs> we all do, right? But now I've majored in having my mindset set on the things above and not on the things here. And that's hard. That's, that's a continual fight, a continual battle. And so I'm hopeful that as we go through this course that we'll be able to help uh, you and me um, be able to encounter, deal with those challenges in a way that re reveals the treasure that's hidden inside of each of these clay jars that are in this room. All human beings are either on a journey towards heaven or towards hell. And so if we're on a journey towards heaven, it begs the question, how much time have we focused? Have we paid attention to? How much time do we do planning or pre preparing or meditating or marinating on heaven 
and what lies in store for us. And I would say, for the most part, very, very little. Let's consider for a moment uh, an illustration. You happen to have, I know none of us in here would buy a lottery ticket. But you, as you sat in your chair, there was a lottery ticket in your chair. And you think, oh, this is interesting. God gave me a lottery ticket. I'll stick it in my pocket and I'll see if I won. You get home. You look up the lottery and you just won $150 million. Now, how would you spend your time if you knew you don't have $150 million now, but you're going to go pick that up? How would you feel? You feel good, right? You feel excited. And you start, you'll probably start thinking about all things and uh, what you can do with it and how grand life will be. <laughs> or for those wives in the room, how much time and effort went into planning and preparing your wedding? And daydreaming about that. And how did that affect your countenance? Now, contrast both of those against how much time you spend musing over heaven. That's why we're doing this class, is to give you some tangible, vivid visions of heaven that can help you invest the time and energy. Think about it. You know, if you're, if you married this, your spouse and you had this, you know, you planned for a year the wedding and did all these things and spent all this money. And maybe if you're lucky, you're married to this guy for 40, 50 years, maybe more. You're going to spend an eternity in heaven. That 40 or 50 will only have just begun. And yet, and yet how much time do we spend? Contemplating that, thinking about it. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Tim always talks about, I, he's mentioned it a couple times to me, and I think he's preached on it, that he stands at a wedding, he likes to look into the eyes of the groom when the bride starts to appear in all of her grandeur. That's you and me. That's Jesus' gaze on his bride when we enter the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to cover that. What I'm trying to equip you with is a vivid vision that is biblical that will help you and help me navigate through sometimes turbulent water. Are we, do we need to be wrapping up? Do I got like one or two minutes? Tim's already left and I'm not done yet. <laughs> one minute. All right. I don't know if we can bring that home. We'll just carry over to the next. You know, 
I hope you don't mind me covering this subject of mindset. I do hope that you will invest the energy this week in studying the passages so that, you know, our mind's a funny thing. Because I've read every book on mindset. Most of them are not biblical. So, you know, the question that went through my mind was, What's truth in this? Because if I, if I don't know what's truth in this, then I'm not going to trust it. So the, the key is, is to start applying truth to your vivid vision of heaven. Because that's when you, your mind will trust it and will apply it and will, will incorporate it into your being. I'll end with this. I had a, uh, a personal example. Um, a little over 10 years ago, I guess it was about 14 years ago, I came across what was Paul, what I considered to be Paul's mission statement. And as a businessman, I've always applied mission statements because that's what governs, thir- controls, thermostat, sets the pace and the vision for the organization, the direction it would go. And Paul, I really believe Philippians 3.10 is Paul's mission statement, which reads, that I may know him, speaking of Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. I put this post-it note inside of my Bible on the front page. And every day when I opened my Bible, I read that passage. And I, in my mindset, in my thought process, was if I adopt that mindset that I believe is the mission statement of Paul, if I can adopt that, perhaps as I apply it in my life, my life will resemble his. He called us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so I wanted that. What I wasn't thinking was, I was asking God to share in his sufferings. Guess what? Be careful what you ask for. God gave me the opportunity to share in his sufferings. But it was sharing in his sufferings that shed light on the fact that this is where my mindset was. But this is where God wants it. It's where he wants every one of our mindsets. And so... The good news is, is he loved me too much to leave me there. And now I have the opportunity to share with you how he transitioned that for me. And hopefully it will uh, be of value to you so that you won't have to go through as much suffering to get there. So with that, let me close out and we'll uh, pick up. Next week, I promise you, we're going to get into heaven. We're going to have lots of fun with the three eyewitnesses. Um, this was such a, a ball that I had with my mom. If it turns out that I keep going long, um, we'll... Move it into four weeks or more. Um, I have no idea. This is the first time I've taught it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, this is, you know, this is not our home. We thank you that you've called us into this period of time of the already but the not yet to be able to share the good news that we have that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. And now, Father, as we
as we prepare to worship you, uh, would you be pleased to prepare our hearts even now so that we might worship you in spirit and truth? Would you be pleased to be with our preacher and our worship team and all who are involved in the process of making worship uh, pleasant to you and efficacious to us? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.